Hey everyone, I'm Michael Kamel, and you're listening to Own Your Stories on WRIR 97.3. In our last episode, we heard from Crystal Bird Farmer, an educator and organizer working to transform diversity in intentional communities. This week, we hear from China McFadden, one of my friends who has lived in intentional communities for about a decade now. Okay, yeah. My name is China McFadden. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I grew up in a very Christian, yeah, like the Christian South, Tampa, Florida, very evangelical. And um, I was raised in like a Baptist church. And also I spent part time in my grandma's church, which is African Methodist Episcopal. So very religious. And I was super fed up with like evangelical culture. Mm -hmm. And I wound up going to a Bible study. It was a friend of mine. Her name is Lisey. She invited me to a Bible study and she was like, no, 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 it's not like you know, like the Bible studies you're used to seeing where it's super, just a bunch of hypocrites hanging out. And it's like this perfection, like strange hierarchy and competition. These people actually like feed like people who are houseless and allow them to come in and like wash their clothes. And like, it's really what, like where you would see Jesus today. And so I was like, well, that sounds weird, but also cool. And I was 19. Right. <laughs> so I was like, let me go check this place out. So this is like just outside of Ybor City in Tampa. And sure enough, they had like their own urban farm in the backyard. And it was like a ton of, it wasn't just like white hippie folks. It was a bunch of different folks and like black folks I had known who lived in the neighborhood. I was like, okay, well, this feels, this feels like home. This feels where I'm comfortable. So what's going on here? And like, why are all these people living together? A lot of them are college students and they ranged in age, but most of them were pretty young, like my age. So I was like, what's going on? So I moved into a house um, and this is just like houses where people come together to like, not just live amongst each other, like roommate style, but be very intentional about like, okay, there are similar faith values. They have similar uh, political values, even, although I'll say that like, they were hip, but they were definitely conservative. Like I wasn't really political at the time, but it ended up being like uh, a real, like a heartbreak in a lot of ways for me, but I learned a lot in those communities. So that's, that's kind of where it all started. So where I had left off, I explained that I experienced a bit of a heartbreak and actually was kicked out of the intentional community I was living in, which was really, really juicy. <laughs> um, wow. Are you yeah. able to like, tell us a little bit about that or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this community I lived in from the time I was 19 to 23. And most of the persons who lived there were like identified as women. And it came to surface that like, basically when I was living in those communities, the very like patriarchal and also misogynistic uh, worldview of a woman's place. And I slowly started figuring out like, this is a space for mainly white leaders. This is a mm. space for if you are a person of color, um, you're just supposed to assimilate and you're supposed to follow their form, their religious formula of what it means to follow God. And they're evangelical and they have a lot of ideas about what it means to follow Jesus. And it's very particular. And I didn't really fit that mold. So mm. 
me showing up for protests or me going to punk shows, um, the expectation for them, or even going to college campus, the expectation for them, which wasn't made explicit, was that you had to be bringing people in for Jesus. And to me, that felt really inauthentic. I didn't want to invite friends over because I thought that it was weird to have that subterfuge of friendship in order to convert people. That really didn't sit right with me. And I made this known and I use like theology, I use the Bible and scripture to like really cast off these ideas that they had of like not just loving people and like following the faith in that way, um, which I think is really referred to as like ecumenical faith. So I'm down to like be in solidarity, I'm down to help I'm down to just be with you and exist with you. And I have confidence that God is there in that. They weren't having that. <laughs> um, and for a number of years, I kept really thinking that like something's wrong with me that I feel this way and I need to just press in and stay and wrestle through this because I'm committed to these folks. And wow. so there was a very strange like way that they went about kicking me out where they made it seem like it was my whole idea and that it was actually God's phase and next step for me in my life, which really led to the heartbreak because I questioned my faith a lot. Like I didn't feel that calling. I didn't feel that pull. So what do they know that I don't? It was a really toxic, traumatic time. Through, through therapy, um, I realized that like, this was just a really toxic and unhealthy living environment. How did that kind of impact your move to DC? Because I know you had said you have, you have lived in a few in this area. So I ended up like just discerning where I should go next. And I, yeah, I was in a crisis of faith and felt like it was important for me to get out of Tampa and start fresh. So I did like this project to get money, to raise money to get on the road. I painted this mural. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna apply to a few jobs. And then there was this random program <laughs> that a friend of mine was like, hey, so I know that you're dealing with this issue, this crisis of faith. She herself is like atheist. And she was like, I was in a Franciscan volunteer program and they're not evangelical. You can just be in peace. And they actually fund you to live in a city and serve in that city. And they provide like, for food and all of your health care and everything's covered. Um, so I applied to that program and it was based in Silver Spring, the Franciscan Volunteer Ministers. I didn't even know I was going to get in the program. I literally just left, <laughs> left Tampa. Right. I was like, either way, we gonna, we gonna make it. <laughs> um, exactly. And they, uh, they ended up accepting me. So I drove over to Silver Spring and I served at St. Camilla's Parish, which is, yeah, it's in Silver Spring in Tacoma Park. They have a very large, like, immigrant population from El Salvador and Guatemala. And so I ended up teaching there. And that actually was another intentional community. Your commitment to the volunteer program is a commitment for a year to serve a parish or to serve a particular school. And what that meant was, like, you don't go in preaching your own ideas, but you find out where you can, you get in where you fit in and actually try to meet some needs in the community and offer resources to folks. So um, I found out about Occupation Free DC, which is a campaign I organized with 
um, at our Jewish Voice for Peace. Which you, I know you already know. Shout out, shout out. But not <laughs> all the listeners out. know. Not all the listeners know. <laughs> yeah, let all the listeners know that Occupation Free DC is an amazing community. Um, they became my political home. And because I had done a lot of uh, Palestinian solidarity work back in Tampa with the Block the Boat campaign. And yeah, so I was like, okay, well, these seem to be like other really rad folks. Um, I didn't find the culture in DC to be like very welcoming. It was just felt very competitive and very networky. And OFDC was where I found genuine relationships with some folks. Um, and that's what led me here. I was like living for free with these Franciscans. They were literally paying for me to live there and be like, yeah, you can go. If God feel, if you feel like God's called you to do Palestinian solidarity, like whatever that looks like, we support you. And I did that for a whole year. Um, which was wild because I had other expectations for myself at 27. So, <laughs> wow. So this is kind of a eight year saga in a way. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is like my entire like 19 through now journey. Over those years, how did your meaning of home change, especially being kicked out of somewhere that's supposed to be a purposeful and value driven home? Um mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you find another community. How did your meaning of home change over the years? And what might that look like now? Yeah, so it's still a journey, actually. I think the biggest thing for me is, like, I, um, I'm actually someone, I'm neurodivergent. I have borderline personality disorder. And I had been on a journey to, like, figure out, like, why is it? Clearly, relationships mean a lot to me. Um, and clearly... Uh, building with people and like having committed or kind of like intense relationships to um, is something that appeals to me and and people who are neurodivergent in that particular way like me so I figured this out all in retrospect like I was diagnosed a year ago and I've been like oh this this all makes a lot of sense but I think that it speaks a lot to like how valuable it is to have found family and I think in the beginning that's what it was about, right? So like for me, I grew up in a pretty turbulent home and I always sought after home. I always hung out with friends that had big families. I always had like, if I look back, I can always find myself in moments and like friendships trying to find home. And that's what that religious space was for me. It was like, yo, we have common grounds um, in terms of our faith. And then I figured out that... (laughs) their conservative brand of faith just really wasn't meshing with like my brand of faith uh, which was to them more radical but they were still a faith home for me for a while and I think I learned a lot living with them in that like there were households where you had like 10 people living in a house trying to work out each other's schedules so that we could have one-to-one time with at least one person in that house once a week that was very beautiful to me because normally what I found is that people have roommates and you don't really set aside intentional time to like break bread together or go do something fun with just the people you live with to get to know their communication style and like what they're hoping for, how you can support each other. And that sounds like family, right? Like family are people that commit to you and people who are there for you when you have a bad day and are just like yo let's go let's go get something pierced (laughs) and I literally had a roommate like that (laughs) her name is Catherine and she was like let's go get stabbed (laughs) let's go get something pierced because we're having a hard day and that will just feel nice so this 
this feels like home. And even though it didn't work out and I was hurt for a long time, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Clearly this was crazy. I still feel drawn to that at the core. Like I want to have found family. I want there to be something that doesn't look like the status quo and what the status quo has built. And so now in DC, um, I've been figuring out like what queerness means to me and I find myself drawn to more queer spaces. And now I live in a queer household and it's looked very much the same in a lot of ways. Like it's very different people who have very similar values, although they wouldn't call it like a faith-driven value, but the general care for other people and the care for like, like collective, care for the collective and liberation for the collective is now what I've learned to build home base around. Um, And yeah, I would say that like the Franciscan volunteer ministry, like they poured into that um, ecumenically and where I'm at now, um, there are some beautiful folks who are comrades and that's like the net, that's kind of like the network of folks that I find myself in of just people who are organizing for collective liberation and who are abolitionists. And I think that that's become like where my political home is, is now become where my home home has been, if that makes sense. I'm trying to find a way to explain it all. No, I mean, that's a lot to compact into a short interview. Um, and so I, I did just want to clarify. So right now you are living in a collective. So you, so right now you consider yourself to be living in an intentional community, correct? Interesting. I did try out living in a home that was actually a collective. So the Love and Solidarity Collective, it's, um, it's, but they are actually collective and there are about 10 plus folks and it didn't really work out. We just found out that we, we didn't mesh well together, which was okay. Um, and so I ended up moving in with a friend, like we're all still friends with folks in the Love and Solidarity Collective, but I needed a space that had like less people. Um, and I would say, yeah, like we try to have a meeting, like not just a house meeting where it's like, all right, let's nag at each other about chores. For us, um, yeah, there's like, okay, let's set aside time to actually enjoy each other. Is that gardening? Is that going for a group hike or a house hike? Um, Or how do we like pod together with some of our other friends who we know like just have roommates that are not super intentional and they can come stay here in our guest room for a week when we figure out like COVID norms and logistics. And yeah, like I appreciate that there's that intentionality around like, it's not just us in this household who just care about each other. It's like, who are people who are our comrades and in the trenches with us? And like, if they're struggling, we want to support them too. Um, so yeah, I would say we are pretty intentional and we're in a phase where we're trying to figure out what that means for us because I do live with three people who have never been in like intentional communities. It's more like they've been friends for a very long time and have lived with each other And so I think it's a new journey for them and like, ooh, how do we figure out how to like build a container for what's going to bring us joy and what's going to sustain us in living together so that we can be like filled and go out into the world with with that and know that there's like a very supportive home base. So we're in the building process currently. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you talked about when you were in Tampa, how um, these communities were very, uh, white supremacist, patriarchal, misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so what has your experience been in the DC area? Because we found also within our own research and talking to people that a lot of the intentional communities just kind of across the US, at least mm-hmm. the more mainstream ones are very white and are very 
male, female, 50-50% or predominantly male. So what does that look like in this area? I would say like my only experience is pretty limited to um, the Love and Solidarity Collective is the only place that I've lived at in besides um, the place I'm living in now in DC because when I was in the Franciscan Volunteer Ministry, which of course is patriarchal, they're Catholic. It was a very uh, different experience, but I would say that I don't really know like what the entire landscape here is. And I have seen like a lot more male white dominated spaces, like, and even speaking to where I was before, like they work really, there are a lot of white males that live in that collective and they're like also a lot of queer folks live in the collective and then they slowly integrated uh, people of color, um, just doing a lot of extensive research on the collective. And I can't really speak to a lot of their history, but I know that they struggle with that, like being the norm and like, how do we counteract that? How do we like make something that's different? Because we know that that's not how things should be like very white centered and, and male. That's the only place I've lived. So I, I can only speak to that experience. And I, I do believe that that was something that they were striving for. Generally, at least in my day to day, I don't really know a lot of people that live in intentional communities. The ones that I do know, I've met through spaces like Occupation Free DC. So what's kind of some of the pushback, maybe that's personal, maybe that's even legal, that you face in your intentional community journey, if you face pushback? Mm. Can you give me a specific example? Like, what would that look like? And maybe I can. Some people were telling us that, you know, legally, because they are, you know, everyone's buying into this house, they would have to figure out, like, what's the legal and financial implications of a co-housing unit, for mm. example. Um, and that's more of a, of a, I guess, like a leadership issue. So there's one kind of like legal aspect. And then on the personal side, you know, have people like, has your family looked at you funny? Have your, have your non other, have your other friends looked at you funny? Like, have you, how's that experience been with, I guess, getting people to understand what the situation is, or maybe it hasn't been an issue. And I'm just asking it on starter. <laughs> That is a good question. And thank you for, thank you for illustrating like what it is that you mean. I think I've really, so going like throughout my twenties, you know, most people are not trying to buy houses. Most people are not really concerned with property ownership because they're going through school and they're doing their career building thing. Um, so living, especially in the city, like living with other people, having a bunch of roommates, like that is pretty normal. So like a lot of people maybe wouldn't have questioned me um, or maybe like, yeah, a lot of people don't question me now about like, oh, okay, you live with roommates. That seems pretty normal for living in DC and Tampa it was very bizarre. Um, and like I had expressed before, a lot of the circles I was in, they were like Christian evangelical. So most folks get married pretty young and are like, oh, okay, like I grew out of that. Like I grew out of community. And I think it's really interesting going back to um, like my parents. Um, my dad was very skeptical about the whole thing and was like, you should be living at home and saving money so you can buy a house. So like very concerned with like the very typical societal um, escalator of like, you're in right. school and you should save money and then you'll buy a house and da 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 and get married. Um, and I was like, well, that doesn't, I don't feel like that's the pathway for me. And I think that there are a lot of like sociocultural norms that I see in city in downtown Tampa that are just treacherous and how they criminalize the poor. And slowly I just shifted into a space of like, just not really being concerned at all with the 
that, that ladder of escalating to like, oh, I'm going to buy a property and I'm going to do this thing, like what was expected. And I think there are quite a few people, like I'm, I'm definitely not special. There are quite a few people that feel that way and recognize like, oh, sh-. like, oh, excuse me, I mean a curse, but <laughs> no, you're good. Like, oh, my parents, they did it this way. And I've lived in this and I'm a product of this. And like, maybe this isn't what I need. Maybe I don't need to have these particular goals and values. And if people do have that, like, that's great for them. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to own property and like not live with other people and have your own private space. But like, if it's not, if it's like in a, what is the word? Like a silo where you're disconnected from people, where you're disconnected from your neighbors and you're disconnected to what's going on in your city I think that that's like what I, the pushback that I gave my dad. So when I got pushback, I'm like, no, this is, this is, this is not a good use of your time. I would push back on like, I think this is actually the best use of my time because this is what I value. And this is what I actually think is like liberating. But yeah, like also circling back to your question earlier about like that patriarchal structure and like mostly being well, white male dominated like communal living um I see that in a lot of different movements you have like people who are minimalists you have people who are in just different like dabbing in different cultures or lifestyles and you find that like all the white like they just stole that stuff all the white male dominated spaces like there are a ton of things that they didn't grow or build on their own and they're building it on the backs of something that was really beautiful before. So in this particular case with communal living, I see a lot of people in downtown Tampa, for example, and it's happening here with gentrification, people snatching, yuppies snatching up properties, flipping them, and then like renting it out and just making money off of other people paying for a place to live, which I think is like ridiculous. People, we should have housing. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you see that there's like, that's just the thing that you do. If you're up and coming and you've got some career building, you want to buy a property and you want to get into the cool neighborhoods while all the urban um, infrastructure is being like, the historical urban infrastructure is being gutted out, which usually means like displacing people of color, particularly black people here in DC. And like, that whole thing is a very like white colonial, like, culture thing that exists everywhere the gentrification is happening and what they've taken like uh, I think a good example is um look at Union Market Union Market it's basically like this is a one-stop shop for you to get your groceries fruits and vegetables and like also all these street foods um that they've rebranded as like this hip thing that they sell for like a really high price but that's imitating like a lot of flea markets and things that people who didn't have money to go to all of the ritzy stores to buy organic products like those folks used to go to the markets and so they've modeled these new kind of like cool kitschy markets these like very hipster markets after like flea markets except it's not catered to people who are poor it's catered to people who are upper middle upper class so I would say the same thing about communal living it's like how can I make the most money off of renting out like this space for the most people and if they're in an intentional community I know they're gonna probably stay here longer because they want to be beholden to the house but they're not like committed enough to or have enough money to actually buy property so that they can do this on their own so I would say that that's like very very challenging to me because it's like really wrestling against this 
I, I guess like this industrial, I don't know how to call, I don't know how to put it, but like seeing this change and this shift where like people are like, oh yeah, there were a lot of black folks and Italian folks and indigenous folks that lived in Tampa and Cubans that made this place really beautiful. And then we had the suburbs built <laughs> and white people, it was like white flight. And now all those white people are wanting to come and pick off those spaces to make the culture their own and to rebrand it. And so like, I think that that's a really big tension that intentional communities need to hold when considering like, where are you gonna move? If you're gonna buy property, what does that look like? Does it look like maybe having a land trust so that like you can work with indigenous folks to be able to have like property rights and not like the city or the banks? Um, so I think that's a that's a big tension that I'm holding personally too, like thinking about long term, you don't want to be giving money to landlords. And what do we do to make that work? So in terms of like the legal question too, that's definitely something I'm in the learning process of currently. Right, right. And my last question for you is as somebody that has spent the last eight and so or so years, maybe more kind of honing in on what home means to you. And you said it's something that you're still trying to figure out. Like, what would you say to somebody that's trying to figure out what home means to them? Hit me with a big question. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I would tell people, um, like, I'm thinking about what I was thinking of when I was interested in intentional community. And I was a lot younger when I was 19 and looking for people that you can like build home with really looks like developing trust and living with people that you know you can set healthy boundaries with and they're not just going to back out if it's not easy um we we live in a society where we're taught like okay if this is your blood relative like you have to deal with them no matter what but i just think like when you have an intentional community, it's like your chosen family. So I guess I would tell someone, like if I was talking to me at 19, I would really challenge myself to think about, like think beyond whatever's happening on the surface. So for me, what was happening on the surface is like, oh wow, this is a really cool, like radical church community that I can plug into. I should have been asking more questions around like, well, what is church and like, if historically church didn't look like white and hierarchical in the way that I see it now, then like, what does that mean about this particular space? And I should be skeptic and I should be like more careful and cautious. Um, Or like previously living in the, living in the love and solidarity collective, I should have asked myself, like, am I at a space in my life where living with this number of people, which was like 10 at the time, is okay for me. We're going through a pandemic and there's there are immunocompromised people that we have to be concerned about. So like if you're in a place where you just think that something is cool and you're like, oh this is a cool idea and I just want to try it out, know that it's really hard and know that you should really like know quite a lot about yourself. You there's always going to be like space for us all to grow and that's another beautiful aspect of living in an intentional community is there are people who can hold a mirror to you that are, that have no obligation, no blood obligation to you. They just are committed to you and, and choose that and you grow with them. So yeah, I would ask like whoever searching for intentional community is to really like 
Know yourself, know what grounds you and know what boundaries you have because there will be challenges that come up when you live with other people. And just know that it's gonna be difficult work that is like, it's worth the, the effort. I'm Michael Kamel, and you're listening to Own Your Stories on WRIR 97.3. This episode was produced and edited by Siona Petros. You can follow us at Own Your Stories on Instagram, or even go to ownyourstories.co to find more of our work. And if you follow us on social media, DM us. We're Chatty Cathy's, and we love to talk. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please do like, subscribe, and tell a friend. We'll be back in your feeds in two weeks.